Ark Hopping Podcast number 48. Celebrating 10 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 48, the podcast that proves absolutely nothing, because anybody can do this. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I took a look at the evolution of a Tomorrowland attraction that has taken us from a flight to the moon, to a mission to Mars, and then to an alien encounter before Stitch made his great escape. <laughs> anyway, today we leave the world of tomorrow and head to a land of fantasy with part seven of my Disney World update. Almost done, folks. Hang in there, or fast forward. Before I get started, I wanted to explain the title of this episode, Mickey's Duck of the Opera. Although I try to get by with as little effort as possible when making one of these podcasts, the truth is, occasionally, every once in a while, I try to research something, specifically when I'm listing a date or a timeline of an attraction's history. Now, there's some websites I trust, like Yesterland.com for Disneyland history, but there's plenty of sites I don't trust, like the open-source user-contributed encyclopedia, the Wikipedia. Now, don't get me wrong, I still use Wikipedia.com all the time for all kinds of things. In general, it has a great advantage when it comes to accuracy, since no information posted there goes unchallenged. If something inaccurate is posted, someone else will come along and fix it, sometimes within minutes. It's just amazing the types of things you can find there. Plus, if there's something that you really know, something that you're really into, that you've really researched... Uh, you can become an expert and help contribute that so all the entries aren't generic. They're people who like those subjects the most that kind of supervise and maintain them. Well, for an upcoming episode of my pirate comedy show downloadable audio file show, available at piratecomedyshow.com, I wanted to toss out a reference to the old ABC after-school specials, and sure enough, there was a Wikipedia page all about those after-school specials, including a listing of some of the more popular episodes. It's amazing. Everything is there. And, of course, there are plenty of pages um, on Disney stuff. And it's not always the best. The listing of Disney animated films was missing a lot of them when I first saw it a while ago, for example. But in general, the information there is usually cross-referenced with links to external sources, so anyone can easily fact-check this themselves by looking at the source of the information and deciding if they trust it. Sometimes these links go to sites I trust, and sometimes they don't. Well, you see, the problem with Wikipedia is that much like podcasting, Anyone can do it. Anyone can be an editor, and anyone can edit any page and make any kind of change they want. Usually this is good, and it works well. But there's a lot of page vandalism that happens, and sometimes pranksters will mess something up intentionally. When I was researching a bit for today's show on the Fantasyland attraction Mickey's Magic, I was somewhat amused to find that someone had just changed the attraction title of the Wikipedia page to read Mickey's Duck of the Opera. I don't know what this was in reference to, but, it, you know, two clicks later, the page was reverted back to its post-vandalism state. But I, I guess the name kind of stuck with me. So today, the Park Hopping Podcast is proud to present some endless ramblings on this new fantasy land attraction, Mickey's Duck of the Opera, I, I mean, Mickey's Philhar Magic. All right, my, my parents first took me to Disney World and Disneyland around 1976. And I'm pretty sure it was 76, but I don't actually remember bragging to my friends in school about the trip. So it actually might have been a year or two earlier. Anyway, I remember bits and pieces from this trip. We did a major road trip to California and Florida the same time. 
and I remember being really excited about going to Disneyland. Uh, I remember some kind of brochure we had at home that described the Haunted Mansion and its Doom Buggies. Now, being a product of the 60s, the Doom Buggy reference was a play on the Dune Buggy, which was a type of open-air car that at some point seems to have vanished. I knew what a Dune Buggy was back then, and, uh, you know, I'd seen them growing up in Houston, and from the early 1970s cartoon shows like Speed Buggy, there was even a later live-action kids show called Wonder Bug by the Croft people who did so many other similar programs like H.R. Puff and Stuff and Land of the Lost. Now, the reason I mention this is because I distinctly remember either being able to read that brochure or having it read to me or something like that, and there was something about doom buggies going through the hall of the haunted mansion. I was fascinated by the sound of this, and in my mind I pictured actual dune buggies rolling through an old haunted house. Like I said, there's bits and pieces I remember, and that's one of them. Today there are probably many of you out there who weren't even born back then and may have never have seen or even heard of a dune buggy and therefore never got the joke with the name doom buggy. But I digress. I guess finding my first gray hair the other day that was not in my beard has just kind of made me start to feel old. Well, one of the things I remember from that trip was a show with all these Disney animated characters playing um, music and stuff. This was the Mickey Mouse Review, which was closed in 1980, and it got moved to Tokyo Disneyland. It, it apparently still plays there today, um, but with the Japanese soundtrack. Thank you, Wikipedia. After Mickey and his gang moved to Asia, their Magic Kingdom location became the Fantasyland Theater, which had its own lineup of entertainment before becoming the Legend of the Lion King in 1994. In 2003, the theater was once again changed back to a regular-type theater, and it became a new 3D computer-animated movie, Mickey's PhilharMagic. I seem to remember liking the Mickey Mouse review, and I thought the Lion King puppet show was really well done, but I can't remember anything about what happened in that Fantasyland theater between those two shows. Um, I've read that it was used to show some types of films, including the original 3D film from Epcot called Magic Journeys, which apparently was shown there in the Magic Kingdom for a brief time um, when Captain EO moved in and replaced it at Epcot. Apparently, it was actually still playing there until 1993 when the theater closed for The Lion King to move in. Um, but I must never have gone to see it. We made many summer vacations uh, trips to Florida in the 80s and 90s, and I remember seeing Magic Journeys in the early years of Epcot, but I don't recall ever seeing it at the Magic Kingdom. Heck, I don't even remember seeing Captain EO at Disney World, though I did catch it when it was still playing at Disneyland in 95, and of course I have a VHS copy of it from when they aired it on MTV. Anyway, I was kind of bummed to hear that The Legend of the Lion King was going away. I only got to watch it a few times, and they had a strict no-videotaping rule, uh, so I never recorded it. Seeing this theater change from this kind of animatronic e-ticket, the Mickey Mouse Review, down to just a special effects movie seems to lose a bit of the magic. It's a step back from what a Disney attraction, you know, could be. Um, but when they changed to a large cast puppet show, it seemed like a step towards the right direction, a little bit back to the magic. So when the show was being turned back into a movie, I kind of wondered if this was just going to be another cost-saving measure for a few years until they found something bigger to put in. Well, I read a lot of early reports about Mickey's Fill Her Magic, and folks seemed to like it. I expected I'd probably like it as well, since I pretty much enjoyed all the other Disney 3D films, but they're never as interesting to me as, as a big ride would be. I mean, I can ride Pirates a dozen times on a visit and still enjoy it, but I can't imagine going to watch Muppet Vision 3D, uh, you know, that much. 
The 3D movies seem to work well in Florida, though, because of how many different visitors the park gets. You know, there's people there maybe once every five years, so it's always a fresh crowd. Um, but the same films at Disneyland, specifically Honey, I Shrunk the Audience or It's Tough to Be a Bug or Muppet Vision over at Disney's California Adventure, well, they don't have nearly the crowds lined up for them as the ones in Florida do. Even to this day, there's a lot of old movies at Florida that will just be packed in the summer. I guess it's because in California, a lot of the locals have seen these films over and over and over again, and it's not a big deal. Sounds like a topic for the disgruntled Disney dweeb podcast, so maybe somebody will call in and we can talk about that someday. Well, I got to check out Phil Her Magic for the first time a week or so ago, and, and I guess my expectations were going to be pretty high. I expected it to be a great show, and I expected um, to be unimpressed with the computer animation on Aladdin and Mickey Mouse, because I'd read a lot of kind of negative things about that. And I guess that's the one bad thing about reading or hearing so many other people's opinions before you get to experience something yourself. It's, it's easy for a lot of those views to rub off on you. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, no matter what I say, give the attraction a shot, okay? It's always different when you see it yourself, um, unless we can talk you into liking or not liking something. Well... I only had a few hours in the park that day, and I wanted to focus strictly on the things that had changed or were new since I was there um, the last time in 99. I'd already rode through the updated Pirates, so Mickey's Magic was next on my list. Um, the queue area, starting out when you enter in under the uh, the sign, it's, it's pretty different. The Lion King had kind of a holding area, then a little pre-show, and then the main theater. Well, this new arrangement has been really changed. It has a nice, large holding area, which is meant to resemble a fancy opera house or something. Maybe that's where Duck of the Opera comes from. I guess it's kind of like a concert hall with chandeliers from the ceiling and artwork on the walls. You kind of spiral past a lot of artwork and posters before you enter the main waiting area. And one of the larger pieces of art even has a plaque that says something like, From the Collection of Minnie Mouse. It's, it's a nice touch, kind of trying to give the characters some realism in this uh, cartoon universe. As we step into the main waiting area, um, there's a rather bland metal indentation in the wall, kind of a little... Uh, it's, it's, it's basically where the metal trays of 3D glasses sit, and it reminded me of a school cafeteria food tray, um, you know, where you'd go and throw your silverware at the end of your mill or whatever. Uh, the cast members would, would just kind of point us over there to pick up a pair of our opera glasses. Uh, so that it didn't really look fancy. And across the wall, near some of the doors, there was a projected Mickey's Fill Her Magic image on, on the wall. And, and while we'd wait, we'd occasionally hear a character um, come on the PA system and give us updates about how the show was going and when it was going to begin. It's not bad, really. Nothing spectacular here. But the, the very high ceiling and the chandeliers and the, the walls and everything made it feel kind of fancy and neat. It, it did have a completely different feeling to it than the things I've seen there past. Um, I think it was Goofy that made the announcement that the doors were about to open automatically, you know, like they do at so many other attractions. And they open outwards, and then we finally get to walk in and see the large theater where we move all the way down to make room for everyone. And in front is a large red curtain with a big, beautiful golden frame around the sides and top, and uh, curtains on the sides of it kind of spiraling out. Um, once everyone was seated, I started to get a strange feeling of deja vu. There's a bit before the show actually starts where we hear Goofy walking around, and his voice is on one side of the theater as if he's behind the curtains. Then you hear him walk around and get up on the other side. It's just like the start of the Country Bear Jamboree. And I was immediately thinking, oh, this is going to be yet another rehash of the same old thing, just with different visuals and different characters doing the talking. 
Sure, Goofy uh, does find that a cord isn't plugged in over on one side of the wall, so he has to plug it in. You hear an electrical shock, and the lights start to flicker. I mean, it's cute and everything, but it's just nothing new. And we're certainly used to Disney spewing out the same old, same old for many, many years. Well, okay, the movie itself finally starts, and it's got the concept that everyone is in the theater, um, and we're waiting for it to begin. The show's about to start, and Donald has to quickly be woken up so he can get the instruments out. The curtains open, we see Mickey, who walks in and leaves his sorcerer's hat on the uh, little uh, musician stand, the podium there, and he tells Donald to get the things ready but not to touch his hat. And of course, something goes terribly wrong, and uh, Donald decides to go play with the hat. I'll skip the play-by-play, -play, but suffice it to say, we get the typical 3D experience, with wind blowing on us and all that typical Disney 3D stuff. This time, though, it's, it's computer-generated Disney characters as opposed to computer-generated Pixar characters. Several scenes are presented, starting with a, a Be Our Guest sequence from Beauty and the Beast, all with Donald getting wrapped up in the action. Uh, kind of like how they brought Stitch into different scenes for the commercials when Lilo and Stitch was, on, uh, was coming out on TV. Uh, there's the typical drops of water and some smells based on what's being shown on the screen, and this time it's stuff that smells good, you know, baked goods and things like that, rather than stink bugs or chili dogs. But I instantly felt kind of bored. Um... I'm not sure why, but it really felt like it was the same old, same old stuff Disney has done time and time again, ever since they first added theater effects with Captain EO so long ago. But but then at some point something happened, and I'm not sure when and I'm not sure what it was, but there was some point early into the movie that everything changed for me. Um, I had noticed the theater frame was gone. It had lifted up above the screen when I guess we weren't paying attention to it. I don't know what it is, but slowly I felt the, the little bit of that Disney magic creep in. I think the part that got to me the most was the first time I saw the scene um, where we find ourselves uh, floating through the clouds up to the Big Ben clock in London to watch Peter Pan characters on one of the hands of the clock. This whole sequence of flying over London in computer-generated 3D was just amazing. I mean, Tinkerbell was there, and I started noticing um, that the screen had gotten a little bit wider. Again, I, I didn't actually notice this happening. It was very subtle. There were times when uh, we were underwater with the Little Mermaid or flying on a carpet with Aladdin and Jasmine, uh, of course, and Donald. Throughout all of this, the screen seemed to get wider and wider until eventually the image goes around both sides, like three screens all wrapped together, similar to what happens at Universal's Terminator 3D attraction. I think what made it work is how subtle the changes were during the show. It didn't all happen at one time. It just kind of creeped in there. I came back to actually watch PhilharMagic a few more times, specifically trying to see when this happens. And, you know, I caught when the, 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 the frame lifted up, and I noticed a few times the screen would get just a little bit wider. But I guess I was too distracted by the movie itself to catch everything. And, and that, to me, is kind of what makes this 3D film not just more of the same. Now, I don't know how many of you have this happen to you, but sometimes there's something at Disney usually at Disneyland for me, that catches me on, on some kind of emotional level. And I've tried to say it's probably linked back to going there with my mom and dad in the 70s and that whole feeling of love and family and things like that. I don't know. There's just some kind of trigger, some music or an amazing fireworks show or something, something that, that makes you feel like you're going to tear up a little bit. And I've had this happen to two girlfriends that have gone to the parks with me over the years. So I know it doesn't just affect me. I've, I've even had... Uh, I heard one of the guys on the WDW Today podcast getting reamed by a significant other because he'd cry at uh, Disney World easier than he'd cry at, you know, 
real important things in life that actually matter. Uh, so whatever that sensation is, it, it, it sure was there for me during this movie. It, it kind of, uh, creeped in. It wasn't as intense, but there was a little bit of that Disney magic that just made me kind of go, wow, this is beautiful. Maybe it's just a Disney thing that affects those of us who have some kind of upbringing with Disney, like folks old enough to remember growing up with the, uh, the seventies version of the wonderful world of Disney or the seventies version of the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, whatever. I really like this movie. And I think I've heard so much talk about how Aladdin didn't look right um, that I expected it would really stick out. But I couldn't see it. Maybe I just don't know the animated film enough to know what the character's supposed to look like. I've only seen the original Aladdin, and I've only seen it once or twice. But I, I didn't really see anything about the computer-generated Aladdin or his face that seemed different than any of the other characters. I've read similar things about Mickey Mouse and how he appears in the film, but I, I even think that the ancient computer-generated Mickey in the Muppet film was, was pretty well done. Somewhere I read that it was a problem with trying to translate a two-dimensional character that we've seen forever as two-dimensional into a 3D image that uh, keeps him from looking right to us. But it seems most Disney theme park junkies have been seeing a three-dimensional walk-around Mickey forever and noticing how those Mickeys seem to walk and move like we expect our animated mouse friend to walk and move. Well, anyway, I really like this show. Donald, of course, is at the center of every scene, getting into trouble, and he even has a run-in with the brooms that Mickey dealt with in Fantasia, you know, of course, because Donald has the hat. Brooms that are carrying buckets of water. Yeah, I know, it sounds like an in-theater water effect waiting to happen. At the end, Donald had uh, one surprise left for us, as everything comes crashing down and cascading back into itself, including the return of the center screen only in its frame. And Donald gets blown out of a tuba and crashes into the back of the theater. And you can get, you get to see an animatronic rear end of Donald wiggling his legs. And you hear him complaining loudly as, as guests are getting up to exit the theater. And, and make sure you watch for it. Watch the whole thing as Donald finally gets himself free, then kind of falls in the hole. I see people that start getting up at this point as soon as the theater is closing down. Um, and it seems like they're in a rush to get somewhere and they always miss these little bitty details. So I thought this was pretty cool. You know, it was kind of tying all these uh, things in the movie together. And it kind of returns at least partially to a, an animatronic Donald Duck in that theater because it had one originally 35 years ago. So pretty cool. Um, speaking of catching things all the way to the end, next time you catch Tiki Room under new management, be sure to stay until the very, very end of the show. Um, they'll, they'll rush outside and the doors are going to close right towards the end. So you can hang around right outside the uh, exit doors and listen to the whole cycle, and you'll hear one extra line of audio from one of the birds that is actually lifted from the original version, and it's the last thing that happens before the doors close. I'm not sure if I've done a podcast on, on that one yet. If not, I'll, I'll spin that out sometime soon, and I'll play it all the way to the end. Okay, so where was I? Uh, okay, so was this the best computer 3D animation I've ever seen? Not at all. But seeing Disney characters that we know and love has some kind of emotional connection that a first viewing, um, that a new Pixar film that's much, much prettier to look at will never have because you don't know the characters. There's just something about seeing Donald and Mickey and Goofy and, you know, the characters up there. Were there any surprises in the theater? As far as I can tell, we've had wind blown on us, water dripped on us, and smells pushed at us for years. If anything, there have been more effects in previous shows, like lasers and EO or smoke and bubbles in Muppet Vision. This actually seems to have less effects 
And were there any spectacular 3D surprises? Well, we do get to see Ariel throw her arms out and push herself up as she heaves up um, out of the water, which is pretty cool in 3D. And then there's the 3D underwater effects themselves, you know, with little jewels floating around us. You know, look at these things. And and now I'm kind of eager to see if Disney ever proceeds with a full computer animation remake of Peter Pan that I read about um, last year, because that Peter Pan sequence was phenomenal. But beyond things like that, no, not really. This this movie is almost completely lacking in cheap 3D thrills, other than some floating gems, like I mentioned, or Donald reaching out for someone to grab him before he gets sucked back into a vortex. And I think that's actually good. They didn't go out of their way to throw stuff at the screen. There's a lot of depth, and there are some things that pass out, but it, it wasn't designed to be that kind of film like Magic Journeys was when Epcot had its first 3D movie. But collectively, the combination of characters we love presented in a fresh way that we've only seen a few times before in those computer-animated direct-to-DVD movies, you know, all that really makes this work for me. In the few hours I had to spend at the Magic Kingdom over my two days in town, I saw it three times, and I enjoyed it each time. I think I could watch it again and again until I finally figured out all the moments when that screen got wider. I think this movie, with all of its classic and modern Disney characters, would be a bigger hit in California than things they have there, like Honey, I Shrunk the Audience or even Muppet Vision. And since they've already cloned PhilHermagic once for Hong Kong Disneyland, um, maybe the rumors of it eventually replacing something in California will come true. The problem will be deciding where to put it. It would be out of place in Tomorrowland, and it really wouldn't work in a bug's land at Disney's California Adventure. So that leaves only the Hollywood Pictures backlot area where Muppet Vision currently is. And that's a pity, since if I had to keep only one of the 3D films currently at the Disneyland Resort, Muppets would be the one I'd keep. Again, maybe it's just because I'm old and I remember watching the Muppets on TV every week in the 70s. But as I said, I'm old enough to remember when Muppet Vision was actually a TV show. So to me, seeing Muppet Vision 3D is like actually getting to see that show long after it had been, been off the air. So, just in case Muppets, Honey, or Bugs 3D is going away to be replaced by this excellent new 3D experience, the next time you make it out to uh, Disneyland or uh, Disney World where these attractions are still running, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again, or they're just going to change the movie and update the theater. On that note, I think it'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse about 35,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. If you want to talk about some of your favorite Disney podcasts, but not this one, uh, be sure to drop by the Disney Podcast Network at DisneyPodcastNet.com and sign up for their discussion boards. I'm not over there. I don't have time for discussion boards, but there's a lot of great podcasts represented there. It's a great, fun place to hang out if you're into that sort of thing. So if you want to talk to me instead, please email me directly, uh, podcast at DisneyFans.com. If you'd rather just leave me a one-sided message from your telephone, uh, you can dial 206-2030-ACP. That's another crappy podcast. Again, 206-2030-227, and leave me a voicemail. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 48, Mickey's Duck of the Opera. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the Wikipedia. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. Mm. <laughs>